This is Alpha Geek Radio. On that note. On that note, <laughs> you should all be what, here what for the called? Business of Podcasting panel, yes? Yeah! I'm assuming we're recording. I think we're doing this. Good, good. We're starting the the recording up. now, yes, right? Yes, now. <laughs> the, the stream is already going out. So. Alpha Geek Radio has been listening to us talk about <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff. Famous French actors <laughs> pooping. So, um, One star reviews from direct <laughs> So the, the purpose of this panel um, is to, to talk about podcasting from um, a making money perspective. We did this uh, panel last year, kind of impromptu, had really good turnout, had some good feedback. Of course, we're recording this for anybody that, um, as that is at another panel right now. <laughs> but uh, I, we thought we'd bring it back to kind of... Um, uh, I guess touch base with with Stephen, who was on the original panel last year, and Hello. also to bring in some other perspectives. Because what you're going to find by talking with these individuals here, um, there's a lot of different ways to monetize and make money doing kind of what we do. Um, and I brought varying levels of podcasters here where they are in that stage. <laughs> Interesting uh, and, yeah, phrasing. Yeah, yeah, you know. All of a sudden we're all just thinking like uh, it's a hierarchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, so who's so let, me, let me introduce everybody. So first we have Mr. Patrick Beja. Oh, thank you. Yay. <laughs> and uh, for those, do you want to introduce yourself and tell everybody kind of just in case they don't sure. know where you are in your podcast? So you, what you level have a of podcasting yeah, I am? Well, because <laughs> you have a full-time job. Yeah. And you're doing podcasting on the side. Whereas um, Brian is doing it full-time. I'm doing it full-time. Brian, you're kind of in the middle. 80-20, yeah. 80-20. Mm-hmm. And Stephen is recently new to yeah. Going all in, yeah. too. Yeah. So we have varying levels of where we are in trying to make this into a profession. So do you want to tell a sure. lovely uh, audience about yourself? So I'm, I'm Patrick, and uh, I'm doing this from, from France. So it might be a little bit different than um, the situation that these guys are in. Um, the other thing is, as, as uh, Nicole was saying, I also have a full-time job. So it's really from the passion point of view that I'm approaching podcasting and I'm starting to get into the, all right, you know, maybe with uh, uh, the great wave of Patreon of uh, 2014, I think, uh, (laughs) jury called it earlier. Um, I I got into that as well. So it's it's really uh, challenging to balance because podcasting takes a lot of time, uh, even if you try to, you know, if you want to do it seriously, it's probably going to take a lot more time than you expected it to. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't, want, I don't know how much you want me just to Just a little into. bit. Yeah. I just want to go down the line, so, and then we're going to do some polling yeah, so of the I'm, audience. I have uh, one show that's monetized uh, through Patreon. I will say that we did try and, and go through announcers and, you know, the traditional uh, advertising route um, a, a few years ago. It didn't quite work out. <laughs> There's a company that may or may not have been dissolved uh, uh, since then. And so for me, the way I'm approaching it with the time that I have, um, crowdfunding and Patreon is the main uh, avenue I'm I'm doing this from uh, at the moment. And Brian? I'm Brian Brushwood. I'm a podcast operating Thetan Level 7. Uh, I, I first started uh, uh, doing stuff on the web in 2006, and since then, uh, I'm the host of uh, Scam School, Night Attack, Court Killers, uh, or co-host on them, and the Weird Things podcast. 
Brian. And they're big fans. Yeah. Yes. You can hear them cheering Woo-hoo. all the way over here. Uh, I'm Brian Ibbett, and I'm on a show called The Morning Stream. Uh, well, two, two shows that uh, in my uh, collection that I'm monetizing currently, The Morning Stream, which is a mix of Patreon and sponsored advertisers, and Coverville, which is the dynamic mixture of affiliates, um, uh, sponsorships, and uh, membership levels, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the premium content. Mm-hmm. And Steven? I'm Steven Schleicher. I've been running a website uh, called Majorspoilers.com since 2006, eight years uh, yesterday. And uh, we have a number of podcasts. There's about seven or eight of them that we do and we monetize through a number of different ways kind of like Brian we have affiliate programs we have membership program and we have advertisers on our on our system and I'm Nicole Spagnolo. Um, my husband and I run a, a website called The Wood Whisperer, and that's that's my job now. Um, and we monetize in a, a number of different ways, memberships, advertising, affiliates. Um, really what this panel is meant to do is kind of demystify kind of maybe what you might think, we, how we make our money, maybe give you some tips, some ideas. Trivia competitions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Getting paid under the table. I'll I'll send you that check as we discuss. (laughs) And it's also an opportunity. We have a place up here for you to ask questions as well. So um, I know, like I said, last year there was um, some great questions that came up just to kind of give you an idea of, because I won't kid you, it's hard. (laughs) It's a business. Um, We have a lot of fun, but in the end it it is a business. So I'm curious how many of you right now have a podcast in the audience? Almost, in, almost everybody. How many want a pod, How many want to do a podcast? All right, we, got, we have some new ones, so this is going to probably be overwhelming for you. Um, how many of you are currently making money doing your podcasting? Good. We got three. Right on. So we're going to bring you up here. No, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to go down there and say, <laughs> yeah, got some. You make them enough to go woo when she asked ask, ask that question. So woo. <laughs> So I guess what, what I'd like to do is kind of start down and kind of get your perspective. Actually, I would like to start with Stephen, since you okay. were on the panel last yes. year. So last year, I had just formed the LLC. We'd been doing business as a sole proprietorship for many, many years. And last year, on July 4th, again, you guys who were here last year know that that was the official day that we got the information that we were the LLC. So it's kind of interesting, ironic uh, in that same way. And... Um, for years, I've been wanting to make major spoilers my full-time job, but I was a chair of a department of media studies with over 500 students in it. I was teaching classes and doing everything that major spoilers does. Which is a lot. It's if a you, lot. If you're not familiar right? with major Somebody spoilers. Was, someone was saying the other day, you gave up being a tenured chair at a university in a college of business for this? And I'm like, yes, I did, because this is where my passion lies. And so in January, well, back in October of last year, my wife and I decided that, you know, we're in a place right now where we can afford to go off of basically her salary and what the company makes uh, to move forward. And so in January of this year, I walked into my boss's office and said, sorry, I would love to stay until the end of 2015, but I have to leave at the end of the semester. And so since... uh, My last day was technically May 19th. I had a bunch of vacation time built up. Uh, My uh, contract ended June 6th, and I've been waking up in cold terror sweats ever since. (laughs) (laughs) This is like a support group for you. you You're like, yeah. So it's it's been a very interesting year. And 
if you haven't, I know it's, it's still available, you really should go back and listen to last year's uh, recording because there's a lot of stuff that Nicole and Mark uh, specifically said, Stephen, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. We give them and a I'm to-do like, list. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be doing all of this, and I'm about halfway through that list right now. So there's some good information from last year's uh, uh, podcast. So, I mean, do you feel like you're kind of moving forward? Because we spent a lot of time yeah, throughout have. the year. And, and Nicole has been a real, uh, real help for me, and I really want to thank you. Aww, you're welcome. <laughs> going to cry. Aww. Aww. <laughs> um, yeah. But Nicole and Mark have been kind of like my support group. And I appreciate what they've done. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You're going to make me cry now. So, basically, if you want to launch a, a show monetized, uh, be <laughs> friends with Nicole and get her to well, support and, you. And really, it's, it's, it's sitting down and saying, okay, what do you want to accomplish? What yeah. do you want to do? And, you know, there well, are things. I actually think that's a really good starting point where it's like, uh, how many guys have a written plan for your yeah, podcast? Yeah, a business plan of some kind. Yeah, Not nearly plan. enough of you. The closest thing that exists to real magic in this world is the power of the written goal. They yeah. need to be specific. They need to be in a place where you see them repeatedly. And they need to have deadlines where you know you either did set up your LLC by this time or you didn't. Yeah. You either did get 50 episodes in the can or you didn't. You need to, uh, because that deadline you will feel approaching and nothing inspires creativity mm-hmm. like that deadline. Mm-hmm. And that's that smart goal theory, if you know, specific, manageable, articulated, uh, realistic. realistic, and time-specific. Time specific, time yeah. specific, so. Well, and Brian, I really wanted to have you on the podcast because I, when I see what you've done in like the last few years, I am amazed by you. Like, you are inspiring yeah, especially to Especially the last few yeah. months. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, I, I, you're stealing my lines. Oh, sorry. I mean, I, I'm I, sorry. <laughs> oh, we were talking before the show. I'm like, oh, I think Brian Rush so was basically, the most amazing. <laughs> I, I'm really happy to be here because I really want to hear what this guy yeah. has to say. I started following him, I guess, he, when you, you started doing the uh, scams, uh, uh, no, scam school sure. at, uh, at, at Revision 3. And I was like, you know, yeah, he's cute. He's got spiky hair and like he, <laughs> he, he's doing magic tricks. That's, that's kind of fun. And now he's this kind of juggernaut of the internet and fat is what you're saying i get it (laughs) so yeah basically i i I, how did you do it tell us give us your secret Uh, all right i'll give you i'll give you the short uh, as short as i can make it um first of all i i i know the electricity that you're going through quitting your day job is one of the most exciting and terrifying things you can ever do uh in 1999 and apologies if some of you guys have heard this story before uh in graduating from college for like three years i did uh uh, computer stuff i was a high-end sales support at dell uh, and I liked it okay. It was a good job working for the man. But on the sides, I was doing magic. And uh, uh, I always was thinking, well, one of these days, I'll try giving magic a full-time uh, try. And uh, what happened was I got a raise at my job at Dell. And it scared the crap out of me because I realized if they do this again, I'll never be able to walk away. That's mm-hmm. how people get stuck doing something they hate Golden is that the cups. money just gets too good. So as a direct result of the raise, I said, give me a year. Let me get this out of my system. Let's see. Uh, at the end of the first year, I made crap money, but I saw how it could work. And uh, basically, over the next three or four years, we ramped up, and I had... So, sorry, just let me stop you here. How did you see, you know, at the end of the year, you were still making crap money. Yes. But you, how, what made you realize this can actually work? Uh, I, I actually remember the exact trip. I was heading out for a show in Kentucky, and I was driving, listening to, like, a sales audiobook. And uh, understand, like, when I was at Dell, it was a fairly early level on that track that they have. So I was making maybe $33,000 a year. Uh, but then they, they gave me a raise to like 37, and I was like, oh, crap, if I get over 40, I'm never leaving. Uh, my first year of doing magic, I grossed $16,500. Uh, and, of course, you have significant expenses. Mm-hmm. You have travel, travel. You have props and all that stuff. But luckily, Bonnie was supporting me at the time. 
and I remember listening to a sales audio tape series. Uh, and by the way, all of you guys, if you want to be in podcasting, listen to sales mm-hmm. sales audio tapes. Or, yeah. Audio tapes, what is this, 1973? <laughs> audible. Uh, yeah, Audible. There's great business books. Amazing. Learn to manage money. Read as much as mm-hmm. you possibly can about goal setting, about sales uh, uh, motivation and all that stuff. A lot of it is is painfully cheesy. It's also uh, right. And even the stuff that's not technically right, you need to believe it when you first get started to, to, to have that white hot fuel to keep you getting out there. And at the end of that first year, uh, I remember calling Bonnie, uh, and she was keeping the lights on with her job. And I said, I know I made crap money, but I, I see how we could do this. Quit your job and, and work for me. Uh, and uh, for the next two or three years, she worked with me. And then uh, finally, we were doing well enough that I was able to fire her, which was the best thing I ever did for our relationship. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, for for about uh, from 2003 to 2006, uh, I was doing really well with the touring stage show. However, I felt this 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 clutch or, or this this choking uh, aspect to it, where I realized that no matter how good I was at any one show, everybody forgot everything about it within three weeks. Mm-hmm. That moment lived and was white hot but it was like a mayfly and it died and it was forgotten and a year later I would meet people who wouldn't even remember my name they would never exist and I realized that uh, that 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 road was not going to end well uh, and so I, I I had a failed TV pilot for court TV and uh, I realized I was like I need to get on screen I need to learn how to be uh, good on screen and from the beginning it's always been my belief that you have to be bad before you could be good so you need to find a safe space to be bad for my, street, uh, for my uh, stage show, the safe space was performing on the street at 6th Street because uh, nobody could tell me no, uh, except for the cops eventually. Uh, and <laughs> you got honest feedback, and if you were lucky, you got $50 for beer at the end of the night. Uh, likewise, I was like, okay, I need to get started. I need to learn how to tell stories on camera. So in 2006, I was like, what do I have? I have a couple of crappy point-and-shoot uh, digital elf cameras, and uh, I've got a very busy tour schedule. So I made up something called, great, I'm going to host my own show. It's called Brian Brushwood on the Road. And uh, basically, we recorded these little five-minute vignettes of life on the road. Uh, they're probably terrible because nobody ever watched them. I think the most popular of them to this day, I think, has maybe like 9,000 views or something. But during that time, after that eight months, I learned how to talk into a camera. I learned... That since I was also the editor, I learned that if I flubbed the line, it was easier to go back and start it from the beginning so I could cover it with switching between the two cameras. I learned to, uh, uh, to tell stories visually rather than uh, uh, all, all these little things. And because I had this little collection, when I pitched Scam School to Revision 3... Uh, uh, I had, you know, highlights. I'm like, here's a couple of good episodes of me mm-hmm. on camera. They knew I looked good on camera or good enough, uh, and they and they liked the idea. And so we went and did a, uh, in 2007, in December, we shot a pilot for Scam School. We shot four episodes, uh, and they picked it up. We shot the rest of the episodes in February, and then finally we launched in April of 2008. Uh, still not a lot of people. I think, I think we're looking at maybe 20, 25,000 uh, views per episode. Mm-hmm. But, but all of a sudden, like, the engine was running, and there was people who were reaching out that kind of liked me. There were people who would reach out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But again, same thing. I realized this is not enough bandwidth. There's no way you're going to build a community that will support you doing what you love with one five-minute video per, per week. Right. So I realized there had to be another outlet. So I, I, uh, again, I knew I was looking at people like Leo Laporte who were able to sit down and just talk for hours and hours and hours and keep people engaged. And it's, I was like, how did he do it? He's like, well, he's just been doing it forever. So I was like, well, I got I to gotta find a safe place to be bad. Yeah. So I, around this time, Ustream was a new platform. So I opened up an account on Ustream. And I, I, I pledged that I would not use my 
stage show uh, mailing list to promote it. I would only use the, the 500 people who were following me on Twitter or whatever. So we would get like 40 people watching live, and I would be so excited and nervous that my fingers would tremble. And if you watch, it's still up to this very day. On New Year's Eve 2009, uh, I am doing nothing but this. I'm like, um, hey, we're, uh, we're, gonna, we're talking a little magic. Uh, Wow, how do you do And it's like trying to do this juggling act of keeping things alive and taking Skype calls and all that was terrifying. Uh, but we were bad, bad, bad for six months until finally uh, midsummer, we had a decent little crew that we had put together. And every uh, Tuesday night, 300 people would tune in live. And then that's what got us on the radar of Leo Laporte. And from there, it was, it's really just this snowball. It's just mm-hmm. you keep conquering these mini-bosses, and you keep stepping outside of your comfort zone. That's and eventually, key. you get to a point where uh, somebody thinks you're smart or some shit, and you're on a panel. <laughs> that was a long way to go. No, I apologize. I think, that took I really, I think stepping out of your comfort zone is an important thing. I think also kind of having an idea of where you're wanting to go, setting those goals, the sales books, I think, is I listen yeah. to the sales books all the time, mm-hmm. and I may only pick up one or two points from it, but it may change everything about how I handle a certain aspect of my business. So, so you're not using the sales book as like you know gospel. It's not right, gospel, right? It's just that you, you'll get a few things that are really important. And, and I also find when I'm around inspirational people, yeah. I myself get psyched up and inspired and. You know, I went to New Media Expo, and it wasn't like I, I got a lot of great information from it. I got a few bits, but it was around, I was around those people, mm-hmm. and it gets me it's, fired up. It's a up. feedback loop, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so. and, and definitely a part of the decision, because this was at the first of the year, and I quit my job 17 days later because I went to that event. <laughs> I really and, hope it works. And it's you <laughs> and it's Brian. No, it's yeah. you and it's Brian. But it was also the feedback of, look at all the people that already support you. Look at all the people that are feeding back into what you know I was doing or what we're all doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, wow, if we can do this in six months, what can we do in a year if I could dedicate myself to doing this? And that's really why I quit my job. Um, I was working for a company. I was a sales software engineer uh, for 14 years, and I quit last year to work full time in our business. So it was—it's an interesting experience. Well, and, and you bring up a good point in that uh, uh, there's no reason you can't have a primary other gig because yeah. the whole time I was yeah. starting in podcasting with Scam School and with uh, NSFW and Framerate, uh, I never regarded those as my job. Uh, it, my, my job was the touring stage show thing. And right. this is the first year that I looked up and realized I don't have to go on the road anymore if oh, I don't want to. Isn't that nice? I mean, and, and, and keep, it took seven years to get here, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's a. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, in 2006, I kind of did the same thing with instead of quitting the day job, which I hated, <laughs> it was, you know, you guys all tell you, it was really hard to leave. Really, no, no, I, I, this was, <laughs> it was starting to become a real soul-crushing experience. However, I managed to turn that soul-crushing experience into a part-time soul-crushing experience. <laughs> so and, your soul uh, was only half crushed. I was half only crushed. halfway out the door. But um, switched to doing only four hours of that a day, doing it consulting, so I was working from home, working for the same company, and then later for another company that was uh, an offshoot of that, but those extra four hours were the Massive. the baby yeah. step that I needed. Yeah, exactly. It was like, all right, now I've got this time. I can be producing another show. I can be doing the business side of things. I can be going after advertisers. I can be making sure that the advertisers I've got are happy. And little by little, that four hours, um, you know, that company folded the offshoot. I started working for them. Then it came time. I was like, you know what? I can actually start turning 
that into freelance and doing a couple other clients. So now that's basically what I do. 20% of my time is working on freelance, clients, web design, um, PeteRose.com. Everybody go check it out. Your favorite betting site right now. No. Uh, <laughs> He's, you know what, he's, he's, no, no, never mind. Oh, wow. No, we're about to get some gossip. Go on. He's kind of making a big mistake right now with this whole sportsbeep.com. Like, after all these, just saying, hey, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. I want to do this. I want to get back into baseball. About a month ago, he decided he was going to sign on with a sports, an online sports betting company. And what do you think the commissioner of baseball thinks of that? Anyway. But I still love the website. Yeah, that Pete Rose. (laughs) Pete Rose. Anyway. Um, but uh, but that's uh, and I'll have one less freelance client to worry about. The, but it's that, it's that freelance, you know, having We're that. Proud kind to announce, of, Brian Ibbett is now fully independent. <laughs> Congratulations, Brian. Because that twenty percent just became eighteen. No, the um, but it is that um, you know that that safety net. Yeah. Um, I'm not the kind. I mean, I've got a family. Mm-hmm. I'm not able to just say. Snap, let's go do it, and, and let's hope it works. Well, I don't think a lot it, it, it was, of it, yeah. And that's the thing, too. I mean, I think college student here yeah, he's probably that. got it right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, don't give up on college to pursue the pre- <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, you're not married. You don't have kids, right? Oh, he does. I'm married and have four kids. Oh, no. Whoa. Okay, then. Okay. You look don't so listen young. to us. Don't listen you to do. us. You do. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I school full-time, working full-time, and Wow. Yeah. The rest of the time, he's that nerdtacular. <laughs> but I mean, there's, we're all basically saying, I also started podcasting in, in 2006, wow. roughly. Um, and I guess there, there's one element that's super, super important. Um, no matter what you do and how you uh, end up monetizing your, your podcasts or your web shows, um, you're going to need the community to be behind you. Right. And mm-hmm. the, all of those years that Brian was talking about, uh, about getting good, that's obviously uh, uh, super important. But it's also very important that, that as you're doing this, you're building your community. And there's no way that you're going to start you know, doing a podcast and six months later you're going to mm-hmm. get to, to support yourself. It, you need, at this point at least, uh, you need, I would say, at least minimum a couple of years. Unless you go on YouTube, that's sort of a different beast you might yeah, But even then, but um, there's, uh, well, it's very much, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think it's important to remember that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would speak out against uh, hoping for overnight success. Um, Multitasking is also very important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a skill you develop when you switch a live show. <laughs> oh. uh, let me find, um, there was a letter, uh, I don't know if I'll be able to find it, uh, there's a letter from, uh, uh, some of you guys know that I've maintained a correspondence uh, with uh, Teller from uh, Penn and Teller, and he gave me advice when I was in college first getting started, and uh, I'm trying to find his exact words, but I can't find it. Uh, he, he, uh, he said that hope, success, and fame come slowly. If it comes too fast, it tears people apart, and uh, you know groups break up. That's that's every tragedy. That's the Justin Bieber story. Is is the last thing you want to be is an overnight success. You want to be a very slow, gradual build. Mm-hmm. So you're subscribed to the ten thousand hours. Take those ten thousand hours. Become an expert. Work towards it. Don't. Yeah. Or at least I'm not going to say overnight. that there's a single magic number, but certainly yeah. a lot of hours. Yeah. yeah. You you yeah. you really have to learn how to do it. It takes a very very long time. I mean, and and the other thing is. So the community is really important. Learning how to do it is super important. Goals are incredibly important. For me, it wasn't... I mean, I'm not doing this only for a living, but I, I, I started uh, podcasting, do, uh, listening, with, uh, listening to you know, people like Leo Laporte and Scott Johnson, and, and I was like, 
what those guys are, are doing is awesome and, and Tom Merritt and everyone and, and I, I was like I don't know how consciously I was thinking this but I was like I want to do that and not just I want to do that I want to do that with them right yeah, yeah. and I'm this you know scrawny guy from Paris uh, and they're all in Silicon Valley rubbing elbows with each other and with and it was it was I don't know exactly how it happened um But somehow... You sent just, in segments to the instance, and they were yeah, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Segments to the happened. instance, and... and By the way, and that, you, is, that is the fastest way to, to accelerate yeah. the growth. If you have some kind of podcast that's already established, you've got a format, mm-hmm. you've got a niche that you're occupying, what you should do if you want to get more viewers is start producing content for free yeah. for peripherally related podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We had somebody recently ask to, um, uh, just out of the blue, hey, I like Cord Killers, I sh- I'd love to be a guest sometime. And, and I'm like, well, who is she? Like, she doesn't have a show. I don't know what she does. She's, uh, who is she? And then uh, and it's like, you know what? Let's just ask her to produce a segment. And she produced a segment out of the blue. It was fantastic. And we're like, oh, it's great. Yeah, come on. Go on. Go for it. And you... Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, that was going to... Go ahead. You, you'd be surprised how difficult it is and how rare it is for uh, established people to get quality submissions from their audience, mm-hmm. even if their community is really large. Um, so... If you're if you're really dedicated and you're really good, uh, or even you know if you're learning, that is a really good. And don't necessarily go to the instance immediately, and you know to those huge shows who already have a lot of uh, uh, you know contributors. Um, and, and the other thing is about goals. So for for Twit, for example, one of the many shows, uh, when they I, I was I wanted to do that, and when I finally got invited, I was. First of all, shaking like a, a <laughs> yeah. maniac. I was. Yeah. I, I did not know what I was going to do with myself. I was sweating. I was like, and but when they invite you, you can't say no, no. right? It's like mm-hmm. you. They tell you, you oh, we're going to do this at like <laughs> for you. It's going to be three in the morning. I know it's a little bit complicated, but what do you think? And I'm like, oh, sure, yeah, no problem. You know, I don't be <laughs> how like did sleeping you study that much before uh, that first uh, before that. Do you study oh, like it was a midterm? <laughs> More <Yes. Yeah. laughs> midterms. Who cares? <laughs> And that was the important stuff. Tom had so, me on um, Daily Tech News Show, and I was so nervous, and I studied for, like, the entire week. Well, and, and as you prepare, because this is – I think this is part of it. There's a lot of significant cross-pollination between podcasts, and you at some point might get invited to sit in on another podcast where, you know, understand the voice of that podcast. And uh, uh, people say that Napoleon wasn't a great military leader because he was able to make fast-thinking decisions on the battlefield. He was a great leader because he would think in advance of every possible thing that would go wrong and have a contingency plan ready. Likewise, as you go through, have four or five different takes on every story or some angle yeah. for it and see where the conversation yeah. wants to go. Exactly. And uh, like half the zingers you hear people pull out on stage uh, were pre-written, just yeah. sitting in the back of their head waiting for what if this one moment were to happen. Yeah. If you have questions, you can come up here. Just uh, line up from this side. I just had a comment. Well, we'll get on mic, bro. Let's clap for College Guy. We're uh, recording this. So just a comment. uh, uh, You guys are talking about getting out of your comfort zone and getting on, you know, being with other people on different podcasts. And the biggest thing is just to ask. And mm-hmm. and what's the worst they can do is just say no. Well, if they say no, then you need to realize, okay, well, maybe I need to start producing more content myself and then approach them again. It, I know a lot of people that haven't done that because they're too scared of approaching people like you guys. You know, you guys are kind of like all-stars to all of us, you know. 
and asking you to be on your show would be very intimidating to a lot of people. But just you know, ask if it's no, then obviously okay. Well, let's let's you know get my act in order. I'll produce some more things and then approach them a yeah. few months later, mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, look what." Now, I've by done the way, now. they won't remember telling you no. Yeah, like you can you have <laughs> yeah. unlimited coupons to ask again. Uh, and what, when we were talking earlier about reading those you know cheesy sales books, it's amazing what little tidbits stick in your mind. There was one quote from uh, Brian Tracy uh, who said, uh, uh, "Was successful people suffer from reverse paranoia." They are convinced that the universe is conspiring for their success. That's why they take those outrageous risks, because they're convinced it'll work out. And even when they're wrong, they're like, ah, well, they say no now, but it'll, it'll get to yes. <laughs> like, if you can fool yourself into that mindset, you, you bother to buy those lottery tickets in life that have a chance to pay off. Okay. And I, I'd even say um, interacting with people, because it's... I don't know about you guys, but for, for me, at the number of people that, that follow what I'm doing... Um, I end up, if someone answers a tweet, you know, on a regular basis, obviously you don't want to ha- harass anyone, but if, if they answer a tweet regularly or they provide comment or whatever, after a while, that name, that Twitter handle will start sticking mm-hmm. in your head. And yeah. even though you're not going to, you know, necessarily going to act, interact with them back, it, it's going to start ringing a bell. Because when you have, I don't know, let's say 5,000 people that are following you, you're not going to remember everyone, but those guys that, that keep mm-hmm. coming back, it's, it's, it changes your... It's not, they, they go into a different category, right. I guess, and it's, it's the guys that you don't mind right. so much... Inter- it, I guess it's a little bit hurtful to say that, but... No, 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 it's, no, it's, it's branding. True. Yeah. It's right? totally true. It's, it's yeah. the great NATO in here. Great it's it's like branding to an here. audience of one. Yeah. You know, you are yeah. building yeah. up a reputation for good content. There is one guy who tweets like seven things all at once, once a day, that's in my feed, and I always click on every article he does because half the time I find something that I feel like retweeting on mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also shouldn't be afraid to reach out to other... Uh, podcasters or producers as well because uh, we just recently launched a, a, a live streaming show and I've been having a terrible problem with uh, with Wirecast and I just tweeted Brian real quick one day and I was like Brian can you I know what are you using for yours because I know you're not doing a full blown studio stuff and he's like send me an email and I sent him an email he's like here here's a link go check this out and it solved my problem and so you know the first episode mm-hmm. was dedicated to you oh, <laughs> for helping so solve sweet. the problem but I, I will say that um, from our business I get people reaching out to us all the time I really want to work with you do you have any ideas I'm like you contacted me yeah, yeah. <laughs> so be prepared if you want don't, to work yeah. with somebody don't just send the yeah. fishing line out there don't have, send me have more bait work. on the hook i have work up to here you I, need I, to make it easy dan actually, back there he's awesome he started sending me segments mm-hmm. in for my uh, nerd parents yep. podcast i'm like oh, i love you you yep. make it so easy I, yeah. first make met, it easy I first met scott johnson he was doing uh, it was before he started doing the instance but he was doing my extra life mm-hmm. um and I was just like, Scott, we do a tech show uh, podcast that I was doing at the time with a friend of mine. And I was just like, it'd be really cool if you could do a, you know, help us and, and maybe do a little quick segment on games, a game review. And so he started doing that every, every so often, sending in a game review. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he's doing a game yeah. review can, can I ask you guys a question? One of the things that I've noticed is my goal is always to respond to as many emails as I possibly can. Yeah. Yes. But when you're getting 200-plus personal pieces of correspondence, oftentimes uh, what I realize is as long if, – if, if the email is framed in such a way where it is appropriate for me to write a one-line response, yeah. I will always write that one-line response right away yeah. and get back to them. If, yes. it's, if it's mushy or just like I need some advice or whatever, and it's like, man, that's like a two-paragraph thing. I mark it as unread, swear I'll get back yeah. to it, yeah. and then and never, never do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, how do you do yeah. licensing? <laughs> Have I done yeah. that to you? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's no, done oh, that good. to you. All right. Yeah, I'm terrible at responding um, to emails that require yeah. a long yeah. response. I mean, understand, right. like, like everybody wants to respond. Make it easy for them yeah. to respond yeah. if, if you I, want to expand your, your influence. But at some point, do, I was even making it a point to, to answer every tweet. Someone would, you know, people would tweet at me. I, I don't really do it as much anymore. But it's like, you're in the mindset, I mean, especially in podcasts, I think. We're, we're all nerds like everyone. Uh, and and I really I'm thinking you know this guy is taking the the precious 30 seconds of his life to address something to me mm-hmm. so I really want to answer and, but you that's know, all to be part of building the community and, uh, that's really yeah, important yeah of course yeah. and and the other thing I wanted to touch on was the 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 branding uh, that you you mentioned for a, an audience of one but branding in general is super Let's important because Buttercup. there are there are a ton of of people doing what we all do right so. Mm-hmm. For me, for example, I'm talking about myself because that one I know. Um, I'm the French guy, right? And that's obvious. It's factual, but I, I play it up a little bit sometimes. Um, and that's come on, just... guys. I'm not that French, am I? <laughs> I mean, the scarf is, you know. Um, but I mean, I play it up a little bit. First of all, because it's fun and it, it makes everyone laugh, but also because it makes people remember me, and that's that's super important. It's kind of marketing, I guess, and. Everyone, you can you can do that on on your. Le- I, I, it's not just that you can do it; you have to do it. He had the spiky hair. He's bold. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean he's a music guy, and you know there's well, there's one book I would like every single one of you guys to read. And uh, I thought everyone in business knew of it, but apparently it's fairly rare. Uh, there's a book by Alan Laura Reese called "The Origin of Brands." For 30 years, Alan Laura Reese, they're a father-son marketing branding team. They've given pretty much the same advice. Stuff like, uh, you know, raise your hand if you can name the first person across the Atlantic Ocean, right? Uh, on a plane, right? Of course, you, you all know. Uh, uh, who is the second? Nobody knows, right? So if you're first, that's, a, that's an important rule. However, you do know the third person across the Atlantic on a plane, uh, Amelia Earhart, because she was first in a category. If you can't be first, be first in a category. Amazing, brilliant stuff. What they did is they synthesized all their ideas and modeled it off of uh, Darwin's origin of the species. Just as there's a tree of life with mammals and insects. You and, mean theory? Uh, theory. Sorry, it's just a theory, right? Uh, and... Uh, 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 but the uh, but there also exists a tree of brands. There's there's an automotive branch, and uh, a, a convertible is occupying a different niche than a, an industrial van. And uh, and a hybrid is another branch. And some branches die. That that weird mashup of a pickup truck and a sedan that was the Eldorado withered. There's no market for that. And so once you think of the marketplace of ideas and of podcasting as this uh, this this open. Uh, Oklahoma land rush, you realize that uh, that there's still plenty of time to stake your own t- claim and to find new niches. Well, if and we, you- we should also say that, you know, we're talking from the perspective of, of trying to actually create a business around this. So some of you may be in there and be like, well, maybe maybe that's not for me. I mean, you may walk away from this mm-hmm. going, eh, maybe I don't really want to get sounds that. Sounds like work, bro. Yeah, what, sounds like n- work. It sounds Nicole, like a- <laughs> what's, what's the title of the book? Um, Things to do the year before you quit your job. What is the oh title yeah, of that book? Um, Rich Dad Poor Dad mm-hmm. oh, yeah. has a book called um, Yeah, it's things. So I have a, a resources. So if you go to nicolespack.com slash resources, I have a list of business books that I read, and I need to read that one. I mm-hmm. have never read that one. It's amazing. So, um, so you I definitely, well, you're ready to quit your job. Well, I already quit my. Well, that's the one I read before I quit my job. Things you need to do before you quit your yeah. job, or something like that. So, looks like we got a line. Yeah, of come on up. Okay, hi, I'm Tim. Hey, hey Tim. Hi, Tim. Tim. Um, just a generic uh, question there. I mean, uh, as far as uh, podcasting, I've 
I've been more dealing with uh, getting the technical side of things uh, set up, you know, getting all the equipment and everything. I'm oh, you should go to yesterday's panel. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of the technical, for, for me personally, the terrifying part about trying to get into podcasting is the part of trying to get that personality and actually getting out and talking to people. Mm. What is some of your, uh, your recommendations for how to get around that or deal with that? Get out and talk to people. Yeah. Yeah. Fail so often that it no longer stings. And there's, and there's truth to the whole fake it till you make it Mm -hmm. thing too. Like be the person that is your goal and you will slowly evolve into that person. Like the, the, the outgoing personality, the, yeah, the ball yeah well, and, and, I mean, and that's that's not just you know some feel good nonsense. That's that's like there's science to back up that mm-hmm. that that we as a person, uh, who we are determines what we do, determines who we are. I mean, it's a feedback loop, mm-hmm. and at any point you can inject a new behavior or a new attitude that will become who you are. So, um, when I first took my job in sales or whatever. I had the worst cage of stage fright. I could not speak in front. In fact, I, I was speaking in front of a group of about 10 people. And I locked up, and I froze, and I walked out of the room. And I spent the rest, you know, the next hour crying in my office. So some of the, I mean, when you're dealing with stage fright, those kinds of nervous things, you have to figure out how to uh, use it the other way. Use it as energy rather using it to defeat you kind of stuff. So I had a list of books. I was reading books on the topic. And those, that, those things helped me in setting little goals, even with that. You know, speaking in front of 10 people, speaking in front of 20, speaking in front of 1,000, almost setting those little things. So there's a lot of great resources out there that, that might even help get you through some of that yeah, stuff. Toastmasters but, yeah, Toastmasters has a thing in every, in every city. And you can go sign up. You can go at the pace you want and... You will be. You will feel so encouraged as you go through that. I've spoken to so many people who've done that and love it. And um, you start out. It's like baby steps. Yeah. And then you know, before you know it, you're researching a topic and then delivering a speech on that topic to people you've become you know friends with and some strangers. And it becomes this nice little this um, li- uh, launch pad that you can kind of st- start on before you kind of continue. And on you're forward. like, oh, I did that. Oh, I could do this. Yeah. You just exactly. Use it like that. Yeah. Very cool. Question. Thank you. Yeah. Right on. Thank you. A question about how you guys view networks. A couple of years ago, you saw the, like, the rise of Twit and um, uh, Frog Pants and, and uh, Five by Five. But now more and more, I mean, you had to take a show, Court Killers, you had to rename it and so on. So what I mean, Pat, Patron, the, the Patron I, stuff, I, how do you view, yeah, I just, how do you guys can, view that? I would just say one thing. If someone approaches you and say, hey, you should be part of our network, yeah. you need to get a lawyer and have them review that contract. Are you serious? Oh. There is a certain network that yeah. I won't name from a certain MTV star that had <laughs> oh. a yeah. dummy contract that basically yeah. everybody signed, and you basically signed away everything about your show. Oh, your I mentioned that I used to do a tech show. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah. Okay? So if you're going to do that, the first thing yeah, I'd say is if, if someone... If someone I, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic that, that things are sunsetting on that. There's been a lot of backlash. Uh, Machinima recently got yeah. a, a lot of crap for having those kind of dummy yeah, contracts. Exactly. I think people are realizing that they can't get away with that. Um, the entire time... Here's a fun fact. Uh, the entire time uh, core, uh, Framerate and NSFW were on Twit, we never got around to having a contract. Like, you know, 
it was all it was all handshake stuff and of course that was in the early days nowadays they they, they have proper yeah. contracts for everything and and there may be some clauses that you would want to look out for but uh, but by and large the there's an upside and a downside to a network on the upside you get the fantasy of thinking that your job is only to be the artist and you get to make your podcast and that's it the downside is uh, by abdicating all those business responsibilities, they will make all the money, whoever the network is. You know? And uh, there's a reason that they're hiring you, and it's not because they want to make you into success for your, for, out of the goodness of their heart. And so you got to think, and that's not to say you shouldn't sign with the network. I'm very thrilled with the entire uh, uh, time that I've been with Revision 3 and now Discovery, and I'm very proud of that entire relationship, and it's good enough that both of us, I want to keep doing it for the rest of my life. Uh, and... That's not to say you should never do a thing with network, but I'll tell you this much. Uh, uh, there was a significant increase in revenue once we took on the, re- the, the responsibility of distribution, editing, and all that stuff for Cord Killers and for Night Attack. Yeah, but you only could do it after you had already built up an audience. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to say you could only. There's a lot of people that start from scratch. For example, um, how many of you guys listen to the Hardcore History podcast by Dan Carlin or uh, Common Sense? Uh, he started by himself as an independent guy and, uh, and has built a, a fantastic empire. And he did it uh, on, you know, when I talk to him on the phone, he talks about, he thinks of it as different legs of the stool financially, where there's, there's the direct donation leg, there's the uh, Amazon affiliate leg, there's the uh, occasionally he'll do a, 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 a sponsorship for Ting leg. Uh, there's another one as well, uh, but well, and nowadays you got the Patreon leg, and there's a number of ways that you could grow it from scratch. Uh, but it's up to you to assess the amount of bandwidth that you have and how much you want to invest in it. And, and you were talking about yes, but you need to grow. That's very true. But there are other ways to grow. Um, and I would say honestly, if you can manage without a network, I think it's probably it's different for everyone. But I, w- I would say if you can manage without a network, it's it's probably best to yeah. stay I mean, independent. We do. We, yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't have a network. I submit stuff to Frog Pants. Yeah. Scott's happy to have it. I'm glad mm-hmm. to, to share it with him. There's no formal contract that we have and no money exchanging, anything like that. But Major, but major, major spoilers, spoilers, it's, it's major spoilers itself yeah. is a network with yeah. all of the podcasts yeah. that we have and uh, some other outside podcasts that, that are on there as well. But that's something, again, just like Brian's saying, it's something we built up without having to go to a Revision 3 or anyone like that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I would say all things being equal go independent because I derived, uh, I'm sitting here because of the leverage I got from Revision 3 and from Twit and from all the network experience that I had. Uh, but, but I'm also diversified in that we do, you know, we, we have still never monetized the Weird Things podcast significantly. It's essentially one that we do for free and it's totally independent. Uh, and then meanwhile, on the flip side, you know, you've got Scam School, which very much goes through the very corporate uh, structure. So I, I, I guess really it's up to, you know, look at your goals, look where you want to be, and ask yourself. Like, once you sign with the network, ask yourself, if I had to start over from scratch three years from now, would I be okay with that? And the answer is yes. Then by all means, jump in and, and start, you know, making other shows while you're doing that first show. Well, and you touched on a, a point that... One of the best pieces of business advice, so my husband and I had a woodworking business. He was building customer furniture, and a woodworker told him, have as many balls in the air as you possibly can. So he taught classes. He did uh, one-on-one. He, we sold veneer. and I mean, and this is a woodworking kind of business that we're, but it applies to anything that you do. Try to have, because if one ball falls, you may still have three or four up in the air that you have revenue streams. So it's just a matter of kind of identifying those balls and how you want to. Didn't that? Oh, yeah. 
Well, you know. I think you mean be diversified. Boobies. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right, you got it. Good answer. Good answer. Hi, guys. Um, I, I guess along the same line that he was just saying, um, I was just curious about um, different types of sponsorships and re- revenue streams with advertising and stuff. Um, I wanted to know, because there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of different uh, different companies, different ways, different podcasts choose to monetize. Uh, I've, I see few that actually charge per episode or per month. Um, it's going down a lot less places are doing that. But there's Patreon, you know, you have Audible sponsorships. I see some that charge for Amazon advertising. You click Amazon, you buy from them, it gives them money back Affiliates, to them. Yeah. yeah. What what ones would you think work the best for somebody that wants to stay independent that you can actually maintain all I mean, of them? Yeah. The I ones mean, that work for you. Well, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, for your, uh, so your except, type of show. Just, I don't think charging per episode, unless you're very specific, mm-hmm. and charging per episode means you can't access the show unless you pay for it. Behind right? the paywall. Yes. Um, yeah. Unless you're a very specific type of show, I don't think that's even worth thinking about. If it's truly evergreen content, and here, here you know, because... Uh, uh, be- because I don't own Scam School, it's not really an option. But I suspect that that if I was starting Scam Schools from scratch, because it's all evergreen content, because the episode I did six years ago is just as good a trick today, right. I suspect I could do a type of thing as Dan Carlin does with Hardcore History. The new episodes are always free for like six months, and then they go into the archives. And after that, the, the, again, they're all great episodes. They're a buck, they're a buck apiece. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think directly charging for content is possible if you have the right kind of, for example, if you have a how-to technological thing. If, like if basically, <laughs> yeah. right, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you have something that's so specific that people will either not find it elsewhere or that it will help them make money, yeah. then they will pay for it. Yeah. Um, maybe. You, but, uh, there's one revenue aspect that we haven't discussed, and I don't think I've heard it talked about in any of these panels, is the idea of having an online store and selling direct product. Uh, right. One of my earliest we pieces... We do that. Well, yeah, I was, I guess, I was I really so. interested to hear, because yeah. you have the whole Scam School store. Uh, yeah, that was Scam Stuff, a oh, completely sorry, independent stuff. entity. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, which again, this is the kind of things you have to think about yeah. when, you, when, you, when you sign a network contract. Uh, but the, uh, uh, if you could find affiliated things that are in your brand, for example, um, you know, uh, one of the best things you guys can do if you have a podcast and you are even and you want to be an expert in your field, whatever it is, a thing you could do in less than two weeks that will make the biggest impact on your success and your standing is write some kind of book. And I know that's yep. intimidating. Yes. Oh, I can't write a book. Write an ebook. You don't have to worry mm-hmm. about publishing. There's no out-of-pocket expenses. It's super cheap and easy. You could get in the Kindle store, and then you have the legitimacy of like, look at me. I'm this mm-hmm. this guy on Amazon or whatever. Uh, and uh, uh, if you're worried about writing a book, this is how I wrote my first book. Turn off the monitor and start typing. The problem is everybody edits as they type, yeah. and that's a dumb way to do it. And but if also- you turn off the monitor, you can't see what you're. That's exactly. That's the okay. point, yeah. right? And you right. just keep typing. If you screw up a word, then just you, you know, just if you going. have a bad sentence, re- start retyping it over, and just keep going, keep going, keep uh-huh. going. And then you'll turn it on. You'll re- realize that the first twenty percent is crap, and you'll hit delete. The last twenty percent is crap, and you'll hit delete. And then you're doing a separate job of editing. First, get it onto the sc- onto right. the computer. Yeah. Then go back and edit it. Every Another, single one of you guys can write a book. An important thing, though. When you say book, how, how long was your first book? How many pages? Doesn't matter. My first uh, 36 pages. There you took go. me four days to write. Uh, another person. Sold 10,000 copies of them. He's because over in the co- uh, cosplay panel right now, Bill Duran, yep. that yep. you know from Punish Props. You know, he's got several e-books out right now on how to make his, uh, how to make props with the different materials that he uses. And they're, you know, 15, 25 pages a piece. By the um, way, I it, told it's relatively to do that. easy. A, a lot of times, 
people just want to support you. Yeah, yeah. And we have people buying memberships within our guild that don't even woodwork. Hey, Steven. <laughs> I love watching, to be honest, I love watching Mark work with wood. <laughs> um, his, his videos are really great, and the projects that they do are really great. But doesn't um, well, that, he's called the Wood Whisperer. Come on. Here's um, the other nutty thing. I want to support him. Is that once you create your book uh, and put it in a cat- category, and once you build up enough, even if it's 100 to 300 people as an audience, you can ask them all to buy the book on the same day, and you have the chance for that book to hit number one in its category. <laughs> mm-hmm. That little 36-page booklet called Cheats, Cons, Swindles, and Tricks that I wrote in 2000 is up for 99 cents, and it has spent uh, o- almost two years now uh, off and on being the number one magic yeah. book on the Kindle bookstore. And it's not because it's a good book. Well, I remember that. <laughs> but so it's because it's cheap and it's because yeah. so people recognize my name. Do you, doesn't do you that regard- also, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but doesn't that also um, a lot contingent on the fact that you have a, a fan base, you know, chat realm that you can go in? All right, chat realm, we're going to go it's in. It's chicken and egg, though, man. It's like, how do you think I got the fan base? Because, yeah, and plus, yeah. once you, you can give away the perceived value of a book, you put a price tag, and let's say it's 50 pages on whatever your expertise is, you label it for 90. Then all of a sudden, every time somebody does something really nice, you're like, you know, I really appreciate it. Here's my book. And then it's like, that means it costs you a a button press. Mm -hmm. And they may not even get around to reading it. But meanwhile, it means so much to them that that you gave them something of value. So I guess that's uh, another question. Do you regard these, you know, the book writing, and do you regard these as actual revenue or marketing? Both, and that's a very good way to put it. it. It's marketing when it's marketing because now when you want to appear, there's a difference. If somebody wants to be on Cord Killers and says, "Hey, I'm a guy who likes your show," or there's another guy who says, "Hey, I'm a guy who right, likes your show," and I wrote the expert's guide to cord cutting. Uh, I'd love to be on your show. Which which of those two guys do you think I'm going to book on the show? You know, uh, the first one. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> which which one of them is French? <laughs> we have another question. Hello, uh, I'm Jeannie. Um, I've noticed that being in podcasting is kind of contagious. Yes. <laughs> so um, some friends of mine have put together their own network to, to kind of collaborate. And I was just wondering what you guys thought about doing stuff, uh, things like that. Um, I don't know. It's, I mean, <laughs> for, the thing is, a lot of people think that uh, Frog Pants is kind of a network or kind of, you know, it's kind of the same thing. It's really, it's really just people who appreciate each other who are doing their own thing in their corner and sometimes coming together you know on, on each other's shows mm-hmm. and oh, sorry a web, ring. A web ring. oh my god that's exactly uh, what it is yeah 1995 hello so <laughs> i would be careful especially as you're starting out and you don't have a lot of experience in in that because as we were saying it's hard it's like real real hard, hard work so Getting sort of, quote-unquote, in bed with other people that you're friends with but that you don't really know how well you're going to work with, mm-hmm. I'm not saying you should never do it. It's just be careful. Yeah. Well, also, think about who you want to be five years from now. When I first got started in Magic, it was uh, I ended up partnering up with a guy because it was so much easier to write material when you were only doing half the work. And what happened was two years later, I realized that this guy was an asshole and I was tied to him. <laughs> And, uh, and, that, and it was a big deal to break from him because I had to rewrite 30 minutes of new material in order to be my own magician at that point forward. So you run the risk, while it's, while it's very tempting early on to bond together in a conglomerate or whatever, uh, if, if what you want to be five years from now is an independent expert in your field or have a podcast that's number one in this category, you may want to consider going in alone in order to develop that stuff. 
Hello. Um, well, first a comment and then a question. I've noticed that I've been able to get or build at least a somewhat decent audience by the first thing I did was did some doing behind the scenes stuff for you know Brian and Scott, and then when I started actually started um, doing shows, that audience carried over. I just wanted to know what you thought of that. I think Mike is a perfect example of someone who's coming to people that he, he, he's a fan and a follower of and offering them stuff to make their job easier. And, I mean, the first time I met Mike, it was at Nerdtacular 2011. Yeah. He was that weird dude in the breakfast area at the hotel, and he came to us and he was like, hey, can I take a picture? And I was like, sure, no problem. And then I didn't really you know, realize over the next few years he became that helping hand mm-hmm. and now I just, you know, when, when we meet, it's like, hey Mike, how are you doing? And it's, it's a perfect example of what we were talking about. So to answer your question, I think that's an excellent way of, uh, of, of getting started. Are, are sure. you finding success with your, I know you do a wrestling podcast. Yeah, I just started and it, it's, it's doing pretty well and then I have a small Patreon as well mm-hmm. that's, you know, making a little, bit, a little bit of money so it's more than I would have had before. Yeah. And uh, the question, oh, sorry, I don't know why I'm talking. I'm, no, I'm not sorry. The question was, you know, beside Twitter and Facebook and, you know, places like that, where else is a good place to promote, you know, stuff like your shows? Email, 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 yeah, email, you know, email. People yeah. will give up Facebook eventually. They'll give up Twitter eventually. They will always have their email This address. is the craziest thing. I honestly thought for years that email was, was dead. dead. I, I honestly believe that this was nothing but, you know, the big corporations just constantly spamming your email box because I get a ton of just junk email every day. But I went to New Media Expo, and that is the <laughs> thing. They had the stats to say That's email the marketing tell- is the best way to market I don't get product. any junk mail because I use MailRoute.com slash yeah. <laughs> and, and we've got our own mail list going out. So, so. I'm curious. who you, uh, We just switched to a company called GetResponse.com because I can actually um, create a way to get someone's email and give them a taste of our paid membership site. So, hmm. And I could do auto-response emails. And really what it does is it's, it's a sales pitch. It's like, here's what we have to offer. And at each time, we give them a, a call to action, which is buy a membership right. kind of thing. So there's, and that email list is great because we also have it to where we don't pitch them. We just give them information, information. of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you kind of create goodwill, and it's something that they look forward to, and that may be how they consume the content you create yeah. for them. So I, I know you were on... Uh, I know Still on eye contact. You're on eye contact. Yeah. I just finally signed up with MailChimp. MailChimp? Yeah. yeah. I have MailChimp because I like monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, that, so, but that news, that that list it is. is your lifeblood. Yeah. Well, and, and built into it, there's, there's a way to grow that list as well that's not, that's not scammy. For example, right. uh, one of the most difficult... Uh, Scam School has the biggest presence out of everything I do. It's also the, diffi- the most difficult to lock in. I can ask people to follow me on Twitter, and some do, uh, but, uh, but outside of that, I don't know for sure who I'm capturing. But we did... Um, uh, all, all of these stickers are part of a sticker pack that we did called a Mayhem Pack. And uh, uh, we charge like five bucks for a collection of stickers, and they're all jokes that are tied to them. Uh, but then I said, or you can get it for free by going to scamstuff.com. And when you go, there's a digital version of this that's just a PDF of these, of these stickers that they can print out on their own. But, uh, but rather than just label it as free, we labeled it as $1.99. So then that way, there is a perceived value to it. Yeah. Like, you are getting the template for $1.99. However, on, on Scam School, I said, 
Just go to scamstuff.com, download the digital one, use promo code, you know, hooray for Brian or whatever, uh, and then it will be free. Every single person who did that felt like they got something precious of value. They felt like they were getting away with something. Also, they had to go through the complete checkout process, and two-thirds of them said that they wanted to accept marketing. And so, so it was a scam. Well, I mean, everything I do is. <laughs> but what, what do you You're use these list. mailing lists for in the end? So just... What I do is every week I send out, or try to every week send out, hey, here are the big stories that you may have missed during the week because there's so much stuff that's coming out. We know that you're busy. So Brian, every Sunday night, mm-hmm. gets a little email from me that says, hey, here are the stories. And it I love gives your note, too. That you always write a little personal note. Yeah, yeah, a little personal note. And then you know the idea is that when there is need for a call to action, hey, this month our, um, you know, our, this month our bonus tracks episode is Ghostbusters, where we're talking about 30th anniversary of both Ghostbusters. You can only get it if you are one of our VIP members. Or here's a podcast that you may have missed this week. Why don't you take a listen to this? So what it's doing is it's driving people back to the website to read the full content or going over to the membership site and deciding whether they want to become members or not. That's so how driving I'm using people it. to your content. Well, and, yes. and it's not mm-hmm. just uh, uh, beyond that. At some point, you there will be some kind of industry award that you will be up for or some opportunity where you think that your motivated fan base will... Yeah, you have to let them know. If you don't have a way to tell your fans directly, and you could put it in your podcast, like, please vote for us or whatever, but that doesn't have the impact of a personal letter like, mm-hmm. hey, man, it would really mean a lot if you would go and uh, click on X, Y, or Z. When we released our book... We did pre-orders, and we used our mailing list to say, hey, we're coming out with a legitimate book. Like, an actual publisher is going to do this. And that's how we used our mailing list, and Mm -hmm. we got, like, 2,000 pre-sale. And to the point where the publishing company was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Like, it kind of – and now they want him to do another book, and he's like, I I can't do another book. I think the key (laughs) when you do emails is you'll notice that that, that half the people up here commented on the personal note that's written. It cannot look – you may think that you're looking more professional, that writing it in this business speak. Nobody wants that. They are following you, the person. Start off your emails with – What's up, bro? You know, and then uh, and 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 make it feel like it's from you. And I know it looks like handwriting, but don't use Comic Sans for that. (laughs) (laughs) So, do you have a different mailing list per show, or you maintain them for different? We have different mailing lists for different. So we have a a free kind of of, yeah, and then I have a guild. So we have a different. different I have, I have a of... fan list that uh, that are, is from the live shows when we pass around emails. Uh, there's there's uh, the sales list, which is everyone who's ever bought anything from scamstuff.com. There's the uh, cord killers list. Uh, some of you guys are on that. When when we ended frame rate, we, we you know we couldn't say what we were, we didn't know what we were going to do, but like whatever it is is going to do. If you want to yeah, know, right, you probably right. should send, yeah. sign sign mm-hmm. up on your email. Mm-hmm. And like that one, uh, it sort of sits dormant because it's so powerful. Uh, because uh, it's it gets like an good. 80 percent <laughs> response rate, and it's like if if I were to ever use that for a sales thing, the only other the only non cord killers related thing I used with that was when I announced um, the the hacking the system TV show, mm-hmm. which I felt was close enough. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah and Nikki Fink, I don't know if anybody follows her at Deadline. When she left Deadline, the first thing she did was let everybody know that hey, sign up for my email list so that you know when my new site launches. Yeah. And I think she had like 20,000 people sign up wow. uh, instantly for that. So email marketing is a, is a big thing. Yeah. Question? Uh, thank you guys for being here. Oh, yeah. Question is, we've talked a lot about building your audience and your brand and stuff. What about actually making money? What are your thoughts on how do you approach affiliates? How do you approach the advertisers? What are your thoughts we'll talk on about that in the second hour. Hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, um, I wish I knew how to approach honestly, advertisers. I mean, I really think that... Uh, Please feel free to contradict me. Yeah. Uh, people usually do. But um, 
building your community is way more important yes, than yes, thinking yes, yes. about how ma- uh, you're going to make money. Correct. You are not a broadcaster. You are a farmer. Your job is to plant mm-hmm. seeds. You are to build up a certain level of brand value, and then you will harvest it into money. But, mm-hmm. for the, but the first thing you've got to do is plant seeds. And if, you, and if you're looking for kind of the path, build your community, look at affiliates, look at sponsors, then look at possible it, premium content. It's a really good you know, it, no. no, that's exactly right. When Scam School first started, we had no uh, – there, there's CPMs and CPAs. Uh, CPA is a cost per acquisition where you get paid a certain amount for every new user you bring in. Almost anyone will do a CPA because yeah. it costs them nothing, yeah. and they only get pay out if they get someone. That's like so, GoDaddy kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, GoDaddy and Netflix were our first yeah. ones uh, to start off with. Yeah, and then right. now we've moved uh, – uh, Domain.com uh, is a CPM. They're, they're paying for the, the exposure, and, they, uh, and they've bought out the rest of the year on Scam School. So you wow. reach a certain yeah. moment where, uh, where you, you have – a resonance that that works. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I mean, I, again, that's that's a network thing. Like, a Scam School has its own dedicated sales team, so it's a little bit different. And when you have, usually when approach, you, you usually approach affiliates. Yeah. Go, but yeah. I mean, w- once you have a community that's sizable, you'll either they will approach you, or if you go to them and tell them, you know what, I have, I don't know, twenty five thousand people that listen to the show every day. They're going to listen. Yeah. Uh, get that you, first number to get your yeah. foot in the door. If if you if you want if you think you know crowdfunding uh, a Patreon is the way to go if you're if you have twenty five thousand that people that bother to download your show every day some of them are, are going to give you money 10%. so you're going to find the way that's right for your audience and your product and uh, but there's going to be a way if you have the numbers that's right. I'm curious do you have any sales background no. I mean because that's what you're you're taking and wearing that hat. So that's my job. I contact companies, and honestly, in the beginning, I would contact companies, and I would say, here's our numbers, here's what we can do for you, and I would have to sell them on what a podcast was, Mm -hmm. and you'd have, I mean, it's getting better, but a lot of companies still have no clue. Um, so in fact, I like like I would I would bet that even nowadays you'd be better off not mentioning the word podcast. Yes, yeah. in fact, you say you know, like I have a program that twenty five thousand people listen to yes. every single day. Would you be interested in reaching them? Exactly, yeah. and I and I also that's the reason why I created an app because that's another vehicle for views and things like that. So it's it's rough work. I mean, I, there's been times where I've spent over a year with a company before I actually I and I give them tastes. I'll give them free tastes of different things to the point where. Eventually, they will sign a, a, a package with me. So I, I create a whole bunch. So if you really want to get into that, I can go in as much as you it's, want. It's, it's all about media kits at that point. Yep. Yeah. It's just now occurring to me that the entire time, like the theme of this whole panel seems to have been like, you can't just be a podcaster. You're going to have to wear more hats if yeah. you want to make it. That's what it means to be independent. Farmer, yeah. salesperson, uh, community builder, yeah. all that stuff. Technician. We're at 3.30. Yeah. So. Do we want to... Uh, lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. So... My first YouTube video got 150,000 views. Wow. Nice. So I had this stretch where I was getting 50,000 views per video, but I got to the point where I had so much pressure producing a new video every week, and like what I was doing, the content was running out what I could actually create that was original. Mm-hmm. And then I had a different experience where I had a, a podcast I really loved doing, but I was only getting 20 views per episode. When do you quit, and when do you keep going? I mean that's that's a personal question. Yeah. The, the, nobody can answer that but you, bro. I I would do Coverville, um, even if there was only ten people listening yeah. to the show. I I you know I don't even think about if there's listeners out there. I do the show that I would want to listen to mm-hmm. if I were if 
if I were a listener. And so Goonies never but I, get But one. I will say never if, if there's a way to build your brand on that 50,000 an episode show, you know, try to inject, you know, your, try to capture those people, capture that market. Yeah. You guys gave me the perfect lead in because my question was about those hats that you were talking about. And I guess the, the rapid fired way to do this is how many of you can you just like tell us, you know, what point and what stuff do you delegate? Like the importance of delegation and realizing, hey, that's a hat I don't want to wear. Like for me, it was advertising. So I spent two years finding an ad agency to do my show and they handle a bunch of stuff for me. I pay them a lot of money, but the value is worth it. So just maybe um, comment on that a little bit. Um, we pay someone to do payroll. We pay someone to do accounting. So we have a whole business structure. And it was like, it was getting into that all that. We are like, we don't want to spend our time sending forms to the state and to the government and all that crap. We want somebody to do that for yeah, us. I've got an account as well. Yeah. Yeah. If, you're, if you're selling stuff, fulfillment. I think I'm curious. Do you fulfill on your own? Yeah. We, we, do everything, we do everything literally out of the garage. We do too. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and to be honest, when I, all the fulfillment companies I've looked at, uh, the minimum order and the minimum cut they would get for that amount of money, I could get uh, an intern working 40 hours a week from a college. We pay. No, but that's what I mean. If you can, if, why... You're not going to get a company because the volumes are probably not going to be ba- uh, high enough. But right. getting someone, you know, who, an intern or someone. Yeah, no, I, I, that's the one thing. Like, I would say uh, once you have something that you know is working, outsource everything that's not the most. Identify the one part of the operation that you are absolutely essential to and delegate everything else is the mantra. However, you've got to delegate smart. There's a difference between, uh, well, I don't feel like fulfilling, so I'll go with the fulfillment company. Fulfillment company is going to gouge you. Instead, go to the local college. Call the business uh, administration. Your the, parents, the business like college. me. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, I mean, literally, this our latest release, my mom sewed together the blindfolds that, that went into it. Uh, find, find other people to do it, but be smart about it, and, and you can do it a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to kind of follow up on that. The getting in over your head kind of thing. Uh, when I first started podcasting, I joined a network. Um, well, they were a great network. It just wasn't the right fit for me. They had a schedule that I couldn't maintain. Um, they wanted to do the editing of the stuff, and I wanted to learn that. And it, it actually scared me out of podcasting because I realized that there's a bunch of people that are listening to this and I don't have the time for them. And so now I'm just recently looking at getting back into podcasting. And it, it was a terrifying experience realizing, oh, my God, there's 10,000 people and I can't do it this week. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a big well, and, issue and, for me. And that's good that you feel tension for that because uh, I don't think we discussed this. One of the most important things in having a successful podcast of any variety is to have regularity. Yeah. If you're a Sunday night recording, they want to see it every single Monday morning. And when you miss one... That's not yeah. so great. The good thing is if you have a good community, they'll be very forgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you have to set them up to be forgiving. Yeah. If, you, if you do a great yeah. first show and you say, I'm not in the mood to do a second show, you'll lose them. But if yeah. you do if 100 you shows yes. and then you miss one, yeah. and, they'll, and you, they'll and, let it slide. There, there's, there's examples of podcasts that are irregular and still well-beloved. Uh, I think uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History is one of those. It's perpetually later than anyone mm-hmm. wants it to be. Is that you're disappointed or you're? No, oh, okay. Oh, oh yours. <laughs> Matt Cass. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Yeah. 
It just I communication just, is key, I think. I yeah, but uh, regularity definitely. I mean, when we were doing shows together, and for I, I really like, I it, it will have to be like cataclysmic for me to miss a show. I remember podcasting from an the, like an airport. Yeah. Be- yeah, because we, we well, had sure. to do a show. Yeah. Episode six of Coverville and, is from San Jose. Yeah. I did. I did a, a French tech show from an airport in Moscow um, as I was coming back from a, a business thing, uh, and I, I will. I wouldn't just not have the show. And I just wanted to comment on another thing that that you said. Maybe your case is a little little bit pecu- uh, peculiar, but if anything is going to scare you out of podcasting, it. it it might not be for you because it's going to be super hard and there are, there are going to be plenty of occasions for you to... to we didn't to, even talk about the haters. You will come back next year. To be a podcaster means to, uh, number one, invite criticism for yeah. the rest of your life yeah. and to have low-grade perpetual fear forever. Yeah. Forever. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Cool. So uh, I think that does it. I'm sorry. Uh, we need to wrap... Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> he's coming to tell us we got to wrap up because they can open that wall. So thank you so much, Patrick, Brian, Brian, oh, and Stephen, for guys. sharing your knowledge. Thank you for hanging out and enjoy the rest of your nerdtacular. Bye. So how do I get?